Thank you, Pastor Tim. He said, what a blessing it is to have Chad and Lena here. I would like to say just the opposite, what a blessing it is for us to be with you here this morning and to be partners with you in the gospel. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your, your emails that you send our ways. Just a note that you're, that you're jotting on the fly saying we're praying for you. How's it going and so forth. It means a lot to us. So thank you for everything that you're doing and for our partnership together. I just loved singing this morning, you know, uh, about his kingdom come and, and that the Lord would be exalted among all peoples and may his glory be over all the earth. That is our heart cry, is it not? And that his glory would not, be, not only be over all the earth, but that his glory would be over every part of our own hearts internally. There are unreached continents, one could say, peoples on our planet. But maybe there's an unreached continent in your heart over which the glory of Christ needs to reign. That too is our heart cry, that his glory would reign in us and through us in a full way. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the last few verses of, of this chapter. We got a text uh, here very recently, late at night. Um, many of our days and nights have now blended into kind of a surreal gray since February 24th when the tanks began moving in. And uh, we've kind of become fond of toast <laughs> in our home. Uh, sleep and eating habits have kind of uh, gone off to the side. Uh, and are more happenstance than schedule, but that is fine. Uh, so we got this text late at night, two or three in the morning, from Sveta, one of our uh, believers of our home church there in Kiev, Revival Church, and she said, pray for me. She had been caught uh, between uh, where she lives there outside of Kiev and the church. The bridges had been blown. There was no way she was going to be able to make it into church. She spent uh, more than five days alone in her own house. Behind her were tanks moving in. There was no way she could go back. There was no way to the side, to the left, to the right. And she said, pray for me. I see the soldiers moving into the streets of our town. It was a prayer, obviously, of desperation, of fear, of uncertainty, of helplessness. And she was praying, pray for me. So Lynn and I had the chance to do that right then and there. And Continue to pray for Sveta and so forth. I don't know where you are this morning. You may not be in a house where suddenly you have an enemy army surrounding you. But maybe you are in a situation here. Maybe in a financial situation. Or in a family situation or a health situation. Maybe you're struggling with doubts or have a struggle with a habit that just won't give up. Whatever, wherever you are right now this morning, whatever situation of helplessness and uncertainty, crying out for deliverance like Sveta, there's nothing more important in that situation than to find ourselves crying out to the Lord for strength. And I think the prayer for deliverance 
may be one thing, but the prayer for power and enablement is another. And so I'd like us to turn our attention to a prayer of enablement that Paul is, is uh, pronouncing here in this book. It is actually his second prayer in this book. The first one starts in chapter 1, and it's a prayer for enlightenment. And he prays in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This is a prayer for enlightenment that Paul is praying in chapter 1. And as he comes now to the end of the first half of this book, of this epistle, after spending time describing the, the, the amazing grace of God in saving us and his people and creating the church and everything else, he comes now to this, this second prayer, this prayer for enablement. And another thing that's very interesting as we move into this prayer, we see him saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So we're going to take some, some time to look at what that means and three perspectives that Paul has as he comes to this prayer in his kneeling. But let's read the passage real quick so we get an idea of what Paul is saying. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we see... Paul is now on his knees. And I believe there's three perspectives that we, we glean from the first three chapters of this book that explain why Paul is in this position. Jews typically pray standing. In Scripture, we see them only in certain places on their knees. Solomon, for instance, at the prayer of the dedication of the temple. Daniel praying with open windows in Babylon. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Paul saying goodbye, a tearful go goodbye to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. So here we see Paul again on his knees. It is a prayer in a position of deep submission and of deep earnest. He's on his knees. Why? Why? 
I think there's three reasons. First of all, he's on his knees because he understands the sovereignty of God. Remember, Paul is writing from a prison. His circumstances are not nice. There is plenty of uncertainty and helplessness and pain in his life right now. And yet, he's driven to his knees because of the sovereignty of God. Verse 11 of chapter 1, when he begins this book, he says, In him we were all chosen according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. A plan that started, verse 4 of chapter 1, before the creation of the world. If we are to understand God's love for us personally, then we must come to grips with the sovereignty in our lives personally. That if we, if we understand how God has orchestrated our own lives and how he's working his will into our lives and his love for us through all of these circumstances, only then can we begin to appreciate and understand how great and awesome is our God. So I believe it's God's sovereignty that is driving Paul to his knees at this point. Second, it's God's sacrifice. Uh, it's, it's God's sacrifice in, in time securing our salvation. Verses 7 of chapter 1 and following, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. God has not only created an ultimate plan, it turns out, but he has implemented that plan. And his purpose is to create for himself a new man. And Paul talks about that, the Jew and the Gentile, and reconcile them both to God through the cross. This is our salvation. Christ, who died for us. This is also driving Paul to his knees. The amazing grace of God in his life, completely undeserved. Third, he's driven to his knees by the Spirit of God, who empowers him and empowers the lives of believers and his mission to save many in this world. You maybe have heard the phrase, I understand the gospel, or I came to know Christ on its way to reaching somebody else. You ever heard that phrase before? God's work in this world is a missional work. It's on the move. It's a spirit-directed work. And the fact that the gospel reached me, that reached you, is not the end. Oh, now I'm saved. It's, it, isn't that great? It reached us on its way to someone else, and to someone else, and to someone else. That is the expanding glory and work of God in our lives. And Paul talks about that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. 
He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of the Gentiles. Very interesting phrase. For the sake of the Gentiles. The word here in the Greek is ethnon. From which we get the word ethnic. And could be translated as nations. It's the same word used in Matthew 28. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And make disciples of every nation. It's the same word. So Paul has a very missional perspective of what God is doing, not only in his own life and through the Ephesian believers, but in the world. And this is driving him to his knees. Second, we need to understand the three petitions that Paul is making here in this prayer. A petition for strength, a petition for love and understanding, and a petition for us to understand how great is the love of Christ. Let's look at the first one. Key word here, inner man. Verses 16 through 17. 17. Paul writes this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man. The world is consumed with the outer man. We see it on our billboards. It's coming through through the, the streams on our telephones and ads and so forth. It's all about the outer man, how we look how we feel, how to get stronger, healthier, how to have a better padded bank account, securities. It's all about the outer man. Paul here is asking for the inner man, for strength in the inner man. People sometimes ask us, how do we, how do, we do something beyond praying? How, how do we help Ukraine? And then I got this feed from the internet I'm not sure how it came across. You want to help Ukraine? Don't whine at the pump. And I got to thinking about that. Oh, that makes sense, actually. You want to help Ukraine? Don't whine at the pump. And so yesterday, we were filling up the tank. And I was watching the numbers, click, 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 click. And I was like, oh, my word. And I thought, yes, we shouldn't whine at the pump. You know what? God is so good. And when we sing these songs of praise to him, how often are we reminded deep in our hearts of how very, very good he is? We have that song, God, you're so, so good. And your grace and your mercy is running after, running after, running after me. Amen? Oh, Lord, help us to get, get a perspective of how great and wonderful you are and how much you, are ble- you have blessed us and continue to, to pour on your blessings into our lives. And so Paul prays for strength for the inner man and for us to have this perspective. The inner man is that innermost part of a person that has been transformed by the Spirit of God to focus on Christ by faith. 
the person who lives by the Spirit, that real transformed person inside, that part of you and me that has a disposition towards spiritual things, that inner you that has a thirst for the Word of God, seeks to live in submission to God and yearns to glorify Christ with the resources and opportunities God has given. That's the inner man. How strong is he? How strong is she? And how much are we praying for God to strengthen our inner man? Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's, he's, Paul here is not talking about salvation, but he's talking about Christ living at home in our lives. Literally, it means down home or at home. There's a big difference between living in a house and being at home. Unfortunately, for some Christians, Christ may be living in their hearts, but he is not at home there. Robert Munger has a wonderful book. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've read it. My Heart, Christ's Home. Familiar? Wonderful meditation on the indwelling of Christ in our hearts. Our girls have read this book and, and we with them and, and it's been great, a great encouragement to us. But this is what Paul is talking about. The marvelous indwelling or at-homeness of Christ by faith is directly connected to the strength of the focus and fortitude of the inner man. That is why Paul prays for God to strengthen him in the Ephesian believers. How strong is your inner man? And by way of example, Paul's life was one that longed to see Christ's reign in every part of his life and in every way. And so in Philippians, he writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Second Corinthians chapter four, he talks more specifically about this and more practically. He says, we are, we are pressed in on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That is why we never give up, Paul writes. Though outwardly our bodies are dying, inwardly our, sp our spirits are being renewed every day. Is that your experience this morning? Oh, how, 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 how we must look to the Lord in prayer for him to expand and strengthen our inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts and be at home. It's not just a petition, though, for strength. Paul's prayer here is also a petition for love. And a key word here is grasp, literally down-getting, or the idea of deeper understanding. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, Paul is talking here about a life commitment and practice 
of love, a moment-by-moment -moment understanding that I'm living in love. If we are properly rooted and grounded on the foundation of love, God's love in our lives, and that love is, is flowing through us, then we are like trees that are anchored deep and are moving up. That's the, the picture language that Paul has here, rooted and established. We'll never forget when one of our Ukrainian families that we've been working with, the Talalayanka family, moved to Central Asia into Tajikistan and began moving, began working near the Uzbek border um, uh, with one of our uh, Tajik pastors there. And after several months, this, this young Ukrainian family, together with their two boys, were making inroads into homes like they had never seen before. The Tajik pastor got in contact with us and he said, you wouldn't believe how God is opening up doors for the gospel through the Talalayanka family. We've never seen this before. But we have a problem. Our funds have run out. They can't stay here any longer. And we've, we've given everything we can to support them. Is there some way we can get some more funds to them? So we got the word out to the churches, and we said, please pray about this. Within less than a day, I had a phone call from a deacon of their home church, which is uh, in a rural area, much like St. John's. You may not think St. John's is rural, but <laughs> they were in that kind of a community. Not a big church, not a wealthy church. But he said, I want to meet with you. And so we met in, in Kiev, and I'll never forget when we, when we met at the, in the foyer of a church, he walked up to me and he was carrying this envelope, stacked full of grivni, the currency in Ukraine. And he was smiling, and he said, this is everything. And then he went on to explain, this is everything from our strong box, this is everything from the last offering, this is everything from our church budget, this is everything so the Tadalayanka family can stay and proclaim the name of Christ. This is the love of Christ working very practically in our world and through his people. How are we doing, church? Are we rooted and grounded in love? Are we experiencing this in our community and through our community to others? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Dr. Barnhouse said this about love and the fruits of the Spirit. Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. There are no fruits of the Spirit without love. And so Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers to have a lifestyle of love that they will be rooted and established in genuine and regular expressions of that love. But he doesn't start th stop there. He moves on from the horizontal and begins looking at the vertical. Christ's love, which can be apprehended experientially, can also be comprehended, turns out, mentally. 
It's a love that can be grasped, literally have a deeper understanding of. But how is it possible to comprehend something that surpasses knowledge? What is Paul talking about? The key is personal apprehension by faith and experience. You can't always explain love, especially deep love. Even the world knows this, sings about it. How much more is it hard to understand the infinite love of God? And even when we can't fully explain it, we can begin to understand it and experience it, and we can certainly grow in our understanding of his love. John MacArthur once explained it this way. I think it's helpful. It's like jazz. Some people like jazz and some people don't like jazz. Some people, someone who, who didn't like jazz once asked Louis Armstrong, a famous jazz trumpeter, to explain what it was. And Louis responded, man, if I gotta explain it, you ain't got it. <laughs> and that's how it is with love, right? If somebody has to explain it, then you know we can't always completely explain what God is doing in our lives and his amazing love. But it's there and it's real. 26 years ago, I met my wife in central Siberia in Krasny Arms. I'll never forget that moment when she walked into the room of that church that I was at. Uh, uh, my, my eyes lit up. I felt like there were voices in my head. <laughs> and as we worked that summer together, by the end of the summer, I, I was hooked. I was gone. <laughs> I mean, I really began to love her. I love the tone of her voice, her keen wit, her inquiring mind, her passion for Christ, her devotion to others, everything. And now it's been over 25 years that we've been together. But I can tell you that in these last 25 years, with all of our travels here and there and having our children together and the ups and downs of all of that, that I have grown to love her even more. And I cannot explain it. And every time she walks into a room, my eyes light up. I say that because that's a common experience for many of us. We know, you know what I'm talking about. And by comparison and contrast, it points to God. Yes, our love is fallible. We make mistakes. We always don't do it right. And we get selfish. But as believers who are looking to Christ and growing in God's love, we understand that it's pointing to him and his amazing love for us. A.W. Tozer had these words to say. Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, he has no limit. Because he is holy, he is the quintessence of, of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an all in, incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. This is what Paul is talking about. The width, the length, the height, the depth, 
of God's love that surpasses understanding. He prays that we would understand it better. And thirdly, he prays for fullness. And here the key word is filled to the measure or full measure, verse 19. Paul prays that the Ephesians would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. God has all the attributes of himself and character of joy, peace, love, and so on, an infinite store. Who wouldn't want to worship his beauty and glory? Who wouldn't want to be as close as possible to him forever? Who wouldn't want to have more of him in their lives? Paul writes in Colossians 2, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. What does this mean? Well, first of all, it does not mean that we all become God. Only Christ, who is infinite, can contain the fullness of his deity. So how does this work? Well, perhaps by way of illustration, we can help ourselves. If we were to go to the sea, and probably you've been in the ocean or near the ocean before, and to take a jar with us, and we were to thrust the jar into the waves of the ocean, in a nanosecond, it would be filled with the essence of the ocean. Is all the ocean in the jar? Absolutely not. There's so much more to it. But the essence of the ocean is there. The only way we can get more of the ocean is to have a more robust and stronger vessel or container. And maybe that's why Paul is praying for strength for the inner man. So that we will understand and grow to a greater degree of God's amazing love, his amazing plan that includes us and his glory. So that we will be loaded with the fullness of God and have more of it integrated into our lives. And so Paul comes to the end of his prayer and is suddenly moved and erupts into a doxology. Verse 20 and following. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer now erupts in high praise as he concludes with the summary, God is able. Here, a few nights ago, we contacted our pastor at Revival Church. And as you maybe heard in the Sunday School Hour, we talked a little bit about what that's like to live day in and day out in the basements and parking lots and cold and damp areas with very little light, with people and, and dogs and cats and not much heat, not much softness to lay on, but you're there. And we knew that he was tired. It was late for them. And we just touched base with him, asked him how he's doing. And at the end of a conversation, he said this. 
He said, we're not panicking. God is at work. And we are at peace. And like lightning into my heart and into my mind as he said that, I was like, this is the power of Christ at work through his people in difficult circumstances, living in houses where the soldiers are moving in, helpless, wondering what is next. We're not panicking. God is at work, and we're at peace. Do you know the power of Christ in your life? Are you growing in your understanding of the power and love of Christ in your life? Are you praying and asking that God would strengthen your inner being so that you would better understand and know his love and power? That has become our prayer more so now than ever before. May God help us that we would really understand in a growing and ever deepening way his love for us and by extension to the world around us. Would you stand and pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we are unworthy of so many things. And you bless us every day and every moment of every day much more than we ever deserve. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We pray for our brothers and sisters back in Ukraine. And in other parts of the world where it is difficult, more difficult, most likely than here with us. We pray for them, Lord. Strengthen their inner man. Help them to understand the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of your great love. And we pray this for ourselves. We are small, Lord. But you are big. And you can do things far above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. And so we pray in faith. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's together sing that anthem for the cause. Amen. Yeah.